everybody, so you're going to have to forgive me. It's going to take a little bit for me not to enjoy myself, and I think everybody behind me feels the same way. It's so incredibly exciting to be here tonight. Um, my name is Karen menendez Collar. I am the Executive Director of Centro Hispano of Dane County. For 34 years, Centro's mission has been to empower youth, strengthen families, and engage in community. On behalf of the Madison-Dane County Martin Luther King Jr. Coalition, I am very pleased and incredibly honored to be welcoming you to the 33rd Annual Observing, Observance Honoring Dr. King's Legacy for Equality, Justice, and Peace. Our theme this year is Dr. King's Legacy from Generation to Generation. At a time when our great country's hopes for inclusivity and commitment to safe harbor continue to be threatened, when so many in our community are suffocating because they feel they are not being seen or valued, we come together today to celebrate Dr. King's vision for an arc that will bend towards a greater tomorrow. Throughout this weekend, my hope is that each of you has had time to honor the heart-wrenching sacrifices of the civil rights movement that has brought us here today. To be inspired by the pride seen in the faces of the young people honored this weekend at several events around town. These kids are strong, and as we know, if you are strong, you are less likely to feel like somebody's going to cut you down or that your pride is going to be shattered. And we hope you will leave here even more motivated when you hear from our honorees tonight. This country has been built on the shoulders and struggles of communities of color, and as we start this year, I've made it a special priority to reflect on the ties that bind us. Because, as Dr. King once said, our struggles are really one, a struggle for freedom, for dignity, and for humanity. Together, we are determined to work and fight until justice rains down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Now, each of you should have a copy of the program to follow along with tonight. Your program also contains an insert with the lyrics to lift every voice and sing, and a call to action form, which we'll be collecting towards the end of the night, along with donations to aid Puerto Rico relief efforts. You'll hear more about that later. <laughs> so let us all stand and sing, lift every voice and sing. After the hymn, the program will proceed as outlined with the MLK Choir's rendition of the Black National Anthem.
So thank you to our amazing community choir. Yes, let's give them another round of applause. As we start our program, I want to first invite Minister Annie Weatherby Flowers to the podium to provide the invocation. She is no stranger to our community. A member of Fountain of Life Covenant Church, she is also the Community Engagement Coordinator for the Madison Public Library. A founder of the Kuchi Chagula Madison Center for Self-Determination, a longtime member of the Madison-Bain County King Coalition, and a tireless civil rights advocate for our community. Following the minister's invocation, we will be blessed with a spoken word piece by Cedric Dale Ford, another selection from the Martin Luther King Jr. Community Choir, and a performance by Malika Monger of one of Dr. King's favorite hymns. I'm going to be back a little later to introduce our fantastic keynote speaker, Minister Annie Weatherby Flowers. Let's welcome her. Thank you. Okay. Let's all say love. Love. That's it. That's what it's all about. It's love for one another and love for our neighbors. Okay, here I go. And now unto him. Let's could you stand for prayer. Well, those of you who would like to, you can remain seated, but could you stand? Um, and now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and lift us up from dark valleys of despair to the mountains of hope, from the midnight of des- desperation to the daybreak of joy, to him be power and authority forever and ever. Amen. Good evening. How you guys doing? That's good. I love the energy. I want y'all to talk back to me. Is that okay? (laughs) Um, So I have the privilege of sharing a spoken word piece with you tonight. Uh, Once again, my name is Cedric Del Horde. I'm a a national spoken word artist from Milwaukee. I mean, I like to say that sometimes, thank you. Appreciate it. I like to say that sometimes behind every poem, there is a deeper story. Behind every poem, there is a deeper story. And that statement is so true for this poem I'm going to share with you today. The inspiration for this poem, uh, I think it happened about three years ago. It was the summer, and my then-girlfriend, now my fiancé, now we were talking to some youth at our church. And a young man had recently got shot that summer at our church. And we were just talking to the youth, just trying to get their perspective of what they were thinking about the world around them. They were thinking about the community around them and what was taking place. And I remember this day vividly. I probably will never forget it in my mind. This eight-year-old boy raised his hand. He said, Cedric, I wish I wasn't born black. Eight years old, hasn't even been on this earth that long, but based on his reality, based on his perspective and what he was seeing, said he wished he wasn't born. Now, when I heard that, one, that gave me so much perspective on what our youth are facing, but it also encouraged me as an African-American male to be an example to him, to realize the reality that our youth 
facing, but also having that propel me to be an example for those who come after me. So when we think about this day, when we think about this celebration as we are celebrating Martin Luther King's legacy, we think about all things that led to this point that paved the way for us, but we also think about how much work we still have to do, mainly regarding the psyche, the, the mental uh, just warring in the mind of what this young man was facing. So that story ultimately inspired this poem I'm going to share with you today. This poem is entitled Shooting Stars, a Letter to Black Boy. Once again, Madison, thank you for having me. Hope this poem blesses you. I heard a man on TV once ask, Why do all young black boys aspire to be rappers and athletes, but not aspire to be astronauts? Well, sir, maybe because the limits around them have made their space so small that the only idea of shooting for the stars consists of orbiting a ball into a ring. The only way they could ever accomplish a moonwalk had to be a dance move, or maybe if they can move like the speed of light to the end zone before the other team collides into them like asteroids, and maybe, then maybe they can become a star. See, America preaches that the sky is the limit, but why does it seem like entertainment is the only way for us to soar? So we are taught that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, but why does it seem like the only thing that is evident is the problems that we can see? From the scenes on the TV screens that tell us that life is not so serene, sometimes I wonder, how could they ever believe that 2,000 years ago a man shed his blood just to purchase them, but yet we live in the 2000s and all they see is the blood shed in Ferguson. See, I understand that the uncertainty burdens them. Burdensome thoughts like, do cops protect or do they just murder them? See, giving them hope is like putting a band-aid on a gunshot. Yes, we acknowledge that they're hurting, but the correct remedy is never applied to the pain that they're feeling, so they go through life wounded, but never find healing. But you tell me, how do we heal hard hearts haunted by hatred and convince them that they're still going to make it like, even though your worth in society has been degraded, you're still blessed by the greatest, even though our history keeps rerunning the pages that say your skin will be the only basis for why society deems you as heinous. See, I'm tired of young black men suddenly becoming famous after their life has been taken, so I have to take out the time to tell them this. I want them to know. That they can break down stereotypes like they think we can break down defenders. Like our life is more than just ankle breakers and house arrest straps worn as ankle bracelets. I want to tell them that it's okay to think that calling each other the N-word is absurd because we prefer to be referred to as sirs. No more identity being blurred with the word that was meant to disturb. I want to tell them that I don't fear being handcuffed because the one I fear has me cuffed in his hands. I want to tell them that when I call my woman my rib that signifies her more than being a piece of meat but signifies her being by my side she is more than a chick on the side no b words or baby mamas but she will be my bride i want to tell them i want to tell them 
that their walk with God is more important than the shoes that they walk in. And to design his name under your souls mean nothing if I design his name is not over your soul. I want to tell them that the only time you will raise your hand in the air would be answer a question in the classroom. I want to tell them that maybe people will not look at you as sinners and more like saints when they realize that Jesus didn't look like those pictures society paints. I want to tell them that even though they think you can only shoot baskets or only shoot guns and not go far, I want them to know that you can shoot for the stars. I want to tell them that you are more than prison bars or rapping bars, but I think you can reach bar exams. You are far advanced. I want to tell them that yes, your life matters. And that goes beyond the hashtag, but that was on your tag when God purchased you. And yeah, I'm aware of institutional racism, discrimination, prejudice, stereotypes, and microaggressions, but I also know that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Unfortunately, barriers are in my way, but no barriers are in my mind. See, this poem may not cause a revolution or even be a solution, but at least they will know that they are a contribution. And I've got to remind myself that my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was probably handed one of the most unfair verdicts in history. And the crime he supposedly committed seemed like a mystery. However, God has a history of transforming misery into victory. See, despite what seemingly looked like a tragedy, it was actually God's strategy to showcase his majesty, how he has the vital capacity to still bring beauty even in the midst of depravity. See, he was hanging and beaten, just like my ancestors who willingly sacrificed their life for rights so that I could walk safely at night for rights they couldn't possess the first time because they weren't born white and for rights so that I may ultimately live a better life and just like Christ. God can make things that are common become legends just to show us his glory. And God's glory was manifested even in the face of injustice. And we have to remember that God is still in justice. See, God is the perfect judge, and he will continue to judge perfectly, and I have to have the faith to believe that there is still purpose even in uncertainty. And one day, yes, one day we will all be free. So to that gentleman on TV, we may not all aspire to be astronauts, but at least we are all shooting.
Well, my apologies. I can't, I cannot in any way contribute. Mr. Hord, I hope every young man and woman gets an opportunity to hear your presentation. I hope. I hope every adult who has the power to do something will heed your words. Uh, Malik Ivanko, I mean, my, my voice is very tiny and saying thank you. And Bishop Rayford, I've heard things about you, but I didn't know they were that wondrous. My apologies for being late. I will get to that in a moment. But the few moments I have here to share with you, I wanted to do something recognizing the DACAs in our community. And I thought maybe what I would do is ask each one of them to here tonight to stand or to raise their hand or applaud. But instead, if any one of you meets one of the following three criteria. Could you please stand? First, if your ancestors came from a nation so despicably described by the President this week, if your ancestors came here without a legal visa, and if your ancestors came to the United States with very little, but made a contribution to the betterment of our, our nation. Are we not all DACAs? Are we not all the ancestors of DACAs? It was said last week that even if a DACA bill wasn't passed, that it would be no great tragedy, that it would not be of great significance. Well, I've had the opportunity this last year to spend time with a number of DACA's dreamers. And let me tell you, when you hear their story, and the story of their families, and the stories of what it's like each morning to get up and for members of the family to go their separate way and not know if the family will be reunited that evening. That is a tremendous tragedy. And it doesn't matter whether you're a dreamer or not. Every single person in this nation, in this world, should know with safety and with comfort, that as they say goodbye to their loved ones each morning, that they will be reunited safely that night. And that's what we're about. And that's what we're here to celebrate tonight, because that was the message of Dr. King. Well, the reason I'm late is because there was some uncertainty as to my ability to share with you the presentation I'm about to make. I printed it off at the office this morning. 
hustled off to the Capitol for that ceremony and forgot it. No big deal. So I went home for dinner. I figured I could print it out again on my home computer, which probably an hour and a half later now still doesn't work. Fortunately, through modern technology, I can grab it here off my cell phone, which is why I was so carefully cradling it uh, while we were sitting here these last few minutes, because I noticed that I was down to 9% on my power. <laughs> so let me get with it before, before this fades, because I do have the honor of making this presentation to Ali Muldrow, who lives and inspires the dream of Dr. King. I present this award, the Humanitarian Award, Dolly, a true leader for young people in our community. She began her work in education 12 years ago when she became the after-school spoke word club liaison for East High School. Her work was critical in creating our state's first spoken word class, a class that encourages and rewarded high school students for their study of urban art forms. Since then, she has collaborated with Madison Schools and Madison School and Community Recreation Program to promote spoken word clubs at five Madison public high schools. She's continued and expanded her work with youth as the Director of Youth Programming and Inclusion at GSAFB, at GSAFE, where she's worked with LGBTQ youth and youth of color. She's also created GSAFE's Leadership Training Institute, which has given students from all over the state the opportunity to develop their abilities as activists, allies, allies and creators of change. She's created a GSAFE program in a very important place, the Dane County Juvenile Detention Center, to provide incarcerated young people with a path to success and a path to a future. In, in 2017, Outreach selected her as the LGBTQ Advocate of the Year. And as Oscar Morales, our city's poet laureate, nominated her for this prestigious award, he noted that she grew up in a multiracial family where identity was discussed at the dinner table and difference was celebrated. And let me just say that that is a conversation that every family needs, every family has to have, whether they are multiracial or not. It is a conversation this nation must have. Oscar went on to add that she is passionate about consent, freedom, learning, and human rights. She's committed to bringing in, in both innovation and love all that she does. I, what did I, I am, I think I can do this last part without the, the, the prompt. I'm honored and proud this evening to celebrate the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. by introducing and presenting this award to Ali.
Good evening, colleagues, community, comrades. Uh, I want to be honest with you all about a few things. I am reading off of this notebook because I was afraid if I read off of my phone <laughs> that people would judge me for my age. <laughs> and then Soglin got up here and started acting like Drake at a concert. I was like, darn. I also want to admit, and this might not uh, be what you think a person would think about when they first get an award like this, but the first thing that popped into my mind was, I don't have an outfit for that. <laughs> and, and so I'm really happy that my head wrap matches the choir. <laughs> Thank you. In all seriousness, I am profoundly grateful for this award. I am grateful for this chance to celebrate the legacy of one of the most brilliant thinkers to ever live. Martin Luther King Jr. died at the age of 39, two weeks after he told black people to boycott Coca-Cola. He was not just a man with a dream, he was a man with a plan. This year, on April 4th, Martin Luther King will have been dead 50 years, 11 years longer, but he was alive. And still, right here, right now, black children are six times more likely to be arrested at school. We have a chance in this moment and in every moment, no matter who the president is, to say this is our home. This is our country. Our time is now. We have the chance to stand up for each other, to fight for a community where the color of a child's skin is not an indicator of whether or not that child will be seen as intelligent or disruptive in their classroom. I grew up here in Madison. This is where I have spent all 30 years of my life. I love this city enough to be honest about what it means to be black and young and live here. As a young person, I struggled to understand how Madison could be so liberal and racist enough to discriminate against children at school. Because, see, it is no coincidence that children who were once enslaved in this country are now filling our juvenile detention center. It is no coincidence that young people in this country who it was illegal for them to learn to read are still being left out of learning. But when I asked my father, who is here looking really dapper, right over there, give it up for Gardner Muldrow, y'all. But when I asked my father about the hypocrisy of this liberal community, my dad said everyone is liberal when it comes to themselves. Everyone knows that slavery isn't right for them or their children. Everyone knows that a cage isn't the answer. When they make a mistake, it is whether or not you think those things are right for other people that determines whether or not you are liberal. At GSAFE, we are trying to end harassment in schools. We are trying to make 
make places where LGBTQ youth can be recognized and celebrated for their leadership. I am here tonight because we are determined to end the incarceration of children, and I am just getting started. I accept this award tonight knowing that our future is worth fighting for. And in the words of Denez Smith, hope is hard, but I got it. Last year, I ran for school board, and on the night I lost the election, I told Keitra I was too far behind to win, and she looked me right in the eye and said, that's all black women do, is win anyway. I consider this a win anyway moment. I knew. I knew as soon as Keitra said that to me, that defeat had never been an option. So my friends, this is not a speech. This is a call to action. Don't thank me. Join me. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Ali. And I, too, would like to thank Cedric and Malika and Bishop Rayford, the musicians, and our choir tonight. Thank you for your inspiration. We all appreciate it very much. I also want to recognize our MC Karen Collar Menendez, for the inspiration that she gives our community and the people who she deals with and helps every single day. It's stating the obvious to say that our immigrant neighbors are under attack in this community and across the nation. We certainly have a president who's made his opinion of our immigrant communities very clear. That is, they're not okay unless they come from a country where their skin is very, very white. Our president has shown us who he is, but that's not who we are. And I would ask everyone here tonight to show Karen and every one of our immigrant neighbors that we welcome our immigrant neighbors. We stand by our immigrant neighbors. We are not the federal government. We welcome you and will stand with you. And it's important that we stand with our immigrant neighbors, not just in word, but in deed. On the county level, this year we created the Office of Immigration Assistance and we put $150,000 of seed money into a limit, an immigration assistance fund. We're partnering with neighbors across this community to be there for our immigrant neighbors in their time of need, and I hope you will be too. We're there because our immigrant neighbors need us, and we need them. What we don't need is to spend millions of dollars in state tax money to attract millennials from Illinois to come and work in Wisconsin. All we need to do is embrace our immigrant neighbors, invest in our struggling neighborhoods rather than on a propaganda campaign to Illinois. We need to work to ensure that everyone in Dane County has access to the opportunity to succeed. So to all of the communities that make up our greater community, and especially tonight, our, immigration, our immigrant communities, again, we value you, we respect you, 
We need you. You are us. We are you. We'll continue our work together to bring about a fair and just society for everyone who calls Dane County home or would like to call Dane County home. Activism in the path to change takes many forms. And our next MLK Junior Award recipient demonstrates that with a quiet humility. I know you're down there with the lights in my eyes. There you are. <laughs> and of course, Betty Banks is sitting right next to him, as always. With a quiet humility, kindness, and effectiveness, I'd like to invite Gotti Ben Dan to stand, please. Scotty Dan's civil rights activism has its roots in Chicago at the West Side Organization, where he helped organize the Bike Ride for Survival. He's worked along Jesse Jackson at Operation Push. He has marched alongside the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in support of open housing. Scotty helped found Today Not Tomorrow, a nonprofit focused on educating and informing the community using the medium of entertainment and strengthening the health and well-being of families. He helped form the Peacemaker Community Forums, aimed at allowing community members to speak directly to police officers at the Madison Police Department. And Gotti formed the Men's Group for Fatherhood Engagement at the TNT Family Resource Center, and is also involved with Project Babies, an initiative started in 2006, which supports over 375 families yearly with material items needed to care for their children and connect them with community resources that are available to them for support. You know, Gotti's one of those folks who the, 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 the saying, still waters run deep, comes to mind when you see him. He's always there at so many community events, and he's an observer. And look out for those observers, because as the old speak, I don't know what this says about folks like me, but I think of the saying, those who speak do not know, those who know do not speak. <laughs> so, <laughs> So, ladies and gentlemen, it's an honor to introduce Gotti and to hand you. Come on. You can tell we practiced this one a lot. The Martin Luther King Jr. Award. Thank you. Congratulations. Before I start, I would like to say um, I profoundly agree with Ali and all the things that she said. You were very eloquent, sister. <laughs> I would like to say good evening. And I'm very humbled and honored to receive the 2018 Dr. Martin Luther King Humanitarian Award. I thank the County Executive Joe Parisi, Madison Mayor Paul Soglin, selection and review committees and those who submitted my nomination. I would also like to give special thanks to our team of Today Not Tomorrow. You know, Today Not Tomorrow Club TNT is a local television show. We're the number one locally produced television show in Wisconsin. We've been on the air for 15 years. I would like to thank Betty Banks, Bill Brecker, and Jeannie Erickson our collaborative partners, and our numerous volunteers and supporters. A person cannot do this work alone, Coretta Scott King once reminded us, that the greatness of a community is more accurately measured by the compassionate action of its members. By speaking to a college rally 
in the early 60s, Dr. King stated, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. Whatever you do, keep it moving. I was blessed to have marched in Chicago's Gage Park with Dr. King in 1966 for open housing. Through his words, formal and informal, he taught about life and how to live. I would like to share a story from behind the scenes with Dr. King. We were in the room preparing for an event, and someone in the room asked him, who is God? Surprised by this question, he began to speak about the breath of life. Adam being formed out of the dust of the ground, and was laying there looking like a mannequin, and God breathed the breath of life into him, and he became a living soul. So Dr. King said, there's a lot of God, but the breath of life is mentioned over 35 times in the Bible, so God is the breath of life. There was a brother who challenged Dr. King on his nonviolent philosophy, and when this brother would get riled up, Dr. King would say to him, doctor, 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 to calm him down. We would all laugh. But when Dr. King left the city, it became the brother's nickname. But Dr. King called all brothers doctor because he was a doctor of love. June 1968, after his assassination, we went to Washington, D.C. for what is the Poor People's Campaign. We set up tents in the mud all around the Washington Monument and called it Resurrection City. The Poor People's Campaign was also called the Poor People's March on Washington. It was organized by Dr. King before his assassination. He was motivated in the desire for economic justice. The idea was that he should have what, that we should have what we need to live. This year, 50 years later, the Reverend, the Reverend William Barber from the More Money Movement would pick up where Dr. King left off, resurrecting the Poor People's Campaign and beginning a national moral revival. I cited a quote of Coretta Scott King earlier. But I would be remiss if I did not speak more of her. I would put in the, in the mold of First Lady Michelle Obama. She was beautiful, sweet, and kind, but very decisive. It is through her dedication and commitment to her husband, his work, and that legacy that we celebrate his day with a national celebration. If Dr. King was still alive today, he would continue to be a strong advocate for women's rights fair housing, and racial disparities and injustices. If you are not part of the solution, you are part of the problem. Although he is not here, he did leave us a framework that we should listen to. On April 4, 1967, in his speech now entitled Beyond Vietnam, he stated, we must rapidly begin to shift from a thing-oriented society to a person-oriented society. When machines and computers, profit motives, and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplets of racism, materialism, and militarism are incapable of being conquered. Martin Luther King, Jr. Dr. King did not focus on 90% of a bad person, but focused instead on 10% of a good person. When I came to Madison, the consensus was that an African-American newspaper could not be done, but I always believed. In, the in his 1967 book, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos of Community, Dr. King wrote, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. In 1958, this is something you all might remember. I don't know. Some of you all might. Some of you might not. 
1958, at a book signing in New York, a woman walked up to Dr. King and stated, are you Dr. King? He replied, yes. And at that point, she plunged a knife into his chest. Do y'all remember that? It landed one centimeter from his aorta. The doctor said if he sneezed, he would have died. When he was in the hospital, he received letters from the president and vice president and the governor of Georgia. He said he couldn't remember what those letters said, but he did remember that a little white girl sent him a letter that said, Dr. King, I'm glad you didn't sneeze. <laughs> I would like to close by sharing with you something that we often sang with Dr. King. Um, young people nowadays, they like Michael Jackson, but when I was a young, young, young boy, our Michael Jackson was a group called Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers. Y'all remember them? They were a group of Cubans and Puerto Ricans out of New York City. And they did this song, which I want you guys to do with me, okay? You guys know your alphabet, right? Are we going to see? Are we going to start off, you're going to A, and then I'm going to do a verse, and B, and so on, right? Are we ready? I'll always love you because your love is true. Come, come, come closer, and I'll tell you about the ABCs. Darling, believe me, everything I do is for you. Find a place there in your heart, and I'll tell you about the ABCs. God knows I love you. Heaven holds it true. I want to be near you. J-K-L-M-N-O-P-Q. <laughs> come on, come on. Run, honey, and don't be shy. Sugar, you say, on my mind. True love is hard to find. I'll tell you about the ABC. You make me love you. Far always to be true. W-X-Y-N-Z. I've told you about the ABC. <laughs> of him in your program. Um, Mr. Frank A. Humphrey was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. He has given a full life of service that includes work with the NAACP, with his church family of New Zion Baptist Church, with the Prince Hall Masonic Order, and with Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity. He's a retired Wisconsin State Career Executive, having served in senior management and financial positions. Most recently, Mr. Humphrey was elected in 2016 as a corporate board member of the $2.6 billion UW Credit Union Board of Directors. Among his very distinguished record of community service, one thing in particular stands out to me, and that is how he has served at the NAACP in various capacities for 40 years. Mm -hmm.
formed in 1909, the NAACP is the nation's oldest, largest, and most widely recognized grassroots-based civil rights organization. As you know, Dr. King was influenced and supported greatly by the NAACP, and conversely, his legacy looms large in the work that the organization has sustained since his assassination. Frank Humphrey has been a tireless warrior on behalf of this organization. He's a longtime member, has served in numerous leadership roles and on various committees at the local, state, and national level, including nine years as local branch president with the Beloit branch and seven years as the first VP for the Wisconsin State NAACP Conference. Since 2015, Mr. Humphrey has served as the president of the state conference, which has branches and youth and college units located in Milwaukee, Madison, Racine, Beloit, Kenosha, Waukesha, and Osaki, with ongoing plans to build capacity in Green Bay and Janesville, Wisconsin. At the national level, from 1998 to 2010, Mr. Humphrey served as one of the 17 members of the NAACP Executive Committee under the leadership of the legendary civil rights icon, Julian Bond. Although distinguished for numerous accomplishments, Mr. Humphrey regards his greatest blessing, and I can relate to this, as being the father of two young, intelligent adult daughters who have both matriculated from historically black colleges and universities, with each going on to acquire graduate degrees in healthcare industry. Amen. So please join me in welcoming Mr. Frank A. Humphrey. Thank you. I want to thank the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Coalition, the executive team that put this great gathering together, the mayor and the county exec, and all of you for just coming out tonight to listen to a few of my remarks on an eloquent and gallant warrior for civil rights, for human rights, and for state rights. That's the state right of people. Like you, I've read a lot about Dr. King. I even hope that my service to the NACP National did a service for him as well. I was 15 when Dr. King came to the city of Chicago, Illinois, where I was born and raised. And I remember going into a all-white high school on the southwest side of Chicago to only hear a deleterious comment made by another student about Dr. King, of which it resulted in some disciplinary talk with the, the official that was responsible for discipline of children. You know, when I think back on that moment, when the deleterious comment was made, I think about how childish I may have acted. 
But then I think of some redeeming factors that really did call for the instantaneous response that was dished out. I can't see all of you out here, but I'm glad that the Dr. King celebration asked me to speak tonight. I was thinking about drafting up a long speech, and after you read all the books on Dr. King, you've just about heard most of the eloquent speeches that could have ever been uttered. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about the personal side of Dr. King that I observed as a young kid when he came to Chicago and went through Cicero. The community of Cicero was pretty much all white, and they had a, it had sort of, sort of a sinister aspect of Chicago. Of Chicago. Dr. King marched through Cicero. And in his own words, he declared it was the closest thing to death that he had experienced. But that didn't stop him because he had in his character, he had an unmovable spirit that said that the rights of black people were being obliterated and that no matter what they encountered, they encountered it for the worst, the worst that humankind could do to another individual. What kind of drum major is that? that would say to an populous white city and all of this power structure that you're doing people wrong. Well, it took someone with courage, someone with sensibility and affection for people who he saw as being mistreated. And not because they were just black, but because they were people. So when you look at Dr. King's record, and you see where he established after graduating with his doctorate degree from Boston College, entering Morehouse at 15 years of age, and acquiring another degree, the degree between his bachelor's degree and his doctorate degree. And so he emerges on the scene, and he and his wife decide to go back to Georgia. He takes an assignment at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church to begin his calling. And I remember in reading some of the books that one of the mothers of the church said, our pastor looks so long, looks so young, 
that I don't even know if God's ready for him yet. But he faced on a daily basis. He faced the challenge that seemed to consume his life from the time he got his doctorate degree to the time of his death. And he must have been afraid because every time you heard him speak, he talked about that he wasn't afraid. But you knew that at home, sometimes in the quiet office of his den, he had to think about the finality of his own life. How many of us do that? How many of us think about the finality of our own lives? I don't think very many of us do. And somehow it doesn't really arrive until you get right up to your 60s and mid, mid-60s. mid You know what I'm saying. And then you began to look back and think about all of the blessings that have been bestowed upon you. The lady who drove me here today is Valerie Davis Hump. Called me last night and said it's snowing and the weather looks real bad. I'm going to pick you up at home and and take you to the Dr. King gap. It makes you think about what this world is really all about and what Dr. King's life is all about. Loving people. Caring for people. Standing up for people. I could go on, but if you look at the movement that he ignited, and listen, it took some soldiers who were willing to stand up for some things, like Rosa Parks, stood up because she was tired of getting up after paying full fare for a bus ride, a public city bus ride. She was tired. And she said to the gentleman, I'm not getting up this time. I want you to think about what you're asking me to do. And so the bus driver, of course, called the police. Police took her to jail, arrested her. And her local authoritarian that she went to and talked to, she'd been president of the, not president, secretary of the NACV branch for over 10 years. And she called him. And a subsequent call went to Dr. King. He came. And they organized over a year strategy to stop the busing boycotts in Montgomery. 
what did he do? First of all, he prayed. And I really believe it was at that moment in time that he began to really understand the limitations of authority. And his appeal went to the heart of people. What would you want for your daughter or your your wife after working all day, being tired? What would you want for your kinfolk? And I can see the torment in his spirit as you read the books on the story. Dr. King was human, not just spiritual. He had a spiritual touch, no doubt. Every one of his words were filled with meaning. I don't know if he wrote all of his speeches down. I know he was a a terrific writer. He had coined words and but when you listen to him speak, if it was written, some of it had to be ignored because he relied on God Almighty to get him through. And most of his speeches would end with, I want to thank God. He would always end up saying that it was important for people to understand the best of each other. You can move from the boycott to the early 60s. We got caught right in the movement of the civil rights movement. And there, you can see him deal with the issues of segregation, legal segregation. Which 1964 Civil Rights Act had everything to deal with. You can see him in 65 working with President Johnson on dealing with the issue of voting rights. And do we vote? Do we really vote? That last election showed a depletion within some communities of their numbers going and voting. We ought to ask ourselves, what are we doing wrong? Not what we're doing right. To not engage the consciousness of all of our people for the issues that are being decided at the local level, the state level, the county level, and our national level are all important. Government overlooks almost all of our lives on some level or another. And we have to be conscious enough and aware enough 
to know that this is the time for us to make a difference. If you go beyond Dr. King's struggle from the beginning of his onset to national notoriety, right up to the time of the movement to the streets for sanitation workers, you have to grapple with what he had to grapple with. The certainty of being threatened every day, not only for your life, but for that of your family. But he kept on moving. Out on a Memphis hotel platform. The night before he had spoken, And the day of his death, targeted for assassination. I can just imagine those that escorted him. And I can just see their lives consumed with his death. Jesse Jackson was there. And we need to pray for Reverend Jackson. Andy Young was there. I'm not certain if Ralph Abernathy, Reverend Ralph Abernathy were there, but I can just imagine he was close by. And when I think about the sacrifice that he really made of giving his life so that his people and all people would have a chance to just be with each other and have a jovial conversation. I think it's something to be admired. His death, of course, affected us all. Because it's, you only die one time, and your life is gone. But the life he left us and the memories he left us are what carry us on. That's what this event is all about. I want to thank you for listening and hearing what I have to say. He had caught me maybe 30 years ago when I first got started in ACP. I thought I had all the answers. I had all the answers for this world, for government, and for my workplace. And now I realize that I didn't have all the answers. thought I did, but I didn't. And I'm glad to have recognized that because of this man's life, Dr. Martin Luther King, born as Michael. He was a gallant leader 
And he gave us a lot to be respected. He gave us a lot to be respected for and with. He stood up when most people wouldn't. Said things that most people would not have. And he moved on down the line. I want to thank you for moving down the line. When I look at this audience, now I can see you a lot better. And I think about all of the issues that we have in this world. It takes one thing, and that is for all of us to sit in our seats and agree that we are the most important thing to each other. We are the most important element in each other's lives. And yes, we will have differences of opinion. Yes, we will have different outlooks. But there is one thing that should be certain, is that each and every one of us means something to someone. And that we cannot ignore. That we cannot ignore. So whatever we're doing that makes us feel so important, so elevated, let us kindly remember that the person who we would mistakenly denigrate is our neighbor, is our friend. And we must seek to find a common bond that forges all of us together. Some decisions are not necessarily going to go your way. But we should make no doubt that the way it should go should be for not just the majority of us, but it should be morally and socially conscious, religiously right. I know all of you know what I'm saying. I remember being in one occasion where a minister was giving a long talk. And when he sat down, someone next to me said, boy, I'm so glad he sat down. <laughs> so we don't need to be long in words. What we need to do is be long in our reach to strive for a humane decision, a just decision, and a right decision, not for ourselves, but for all of us. I know you're good people, but I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about those outside of these doors who may not share the perspective of being egalitarian. We need some egalitarian people, some people who can think about other people other than themselves. To be courageous is one thing, but to be humane with our courageousness is another thing. 
So let me thank you for coming out today. I didn't mean to be long because I didn't want to be like a well-noted actress who told her husband, you don't have to worry, I won't keep you long. I think it was number two or three or number four. <laughs> but everybody soon got the message. But I think this is a lovely gathering. And I had watched the show before on public television. I've heard some great messages from this podium. But if you can take away one thing I have said tonight, understand, understand that Dr. King was a legend not because of the words that he chose, but because of the life that he led. And I'm not saying he was a saint. He was a manly man who confronted the same temptations of life that all of us did. But he dealt with it in a way for the majority of us. And so with that tonight, I want to thank you for being present, for adding your name as a witness to the gallery of names that have been before you. I believe it's 32 years, 33 years of existence for the Martin Luther King Jr. Coalition of Madison and Dane County. And when you first started, I remember Betty Franklin Hammonds, late Betty Franklin Hammonds. She, she and I were both presidents of the NACP at the same time. She here in Madison and myself in Beloit. And I thought I was tearing things up in Beloit. Got a few awards. Led the state and Beloit and a fair share program created by Dr. Benjamin Lawson Hooks. But then I realized that only lasts for a while. I had moved on to Madison to go to law school. Thought I was on the right track. But all those things don't matter anymore. What matters is our young people in this audience, the young people who you had on the program tonight, one in Secular school board leadership, another, and community affairs. A young man who gave a spiritless reading tonight. Those are the people that matter. They are the ones that will be governing this world, if not today, in another period. Those are the ones that we need to impress. That there is a sense of urgency to be consistent, to be moral, and to be unwavering in your position for justice and right. 
So I want to thank you again for, for being here tonight and just for listening to what I have to say about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in layman's language. The time is now. If you can see the depletion of this country, and I'm not going to get into the politics of choices of options, but when you have highest level officials talking and denigrating terms about the rights of people and the view of other countries, it's dispiriting. And it's something that we need to, as a society, address. But the only way we can address it is that we must go to the ballot and vote. So, as I close and take my seat, let me say thank you to each of you who journeyed out tonight in this treacherous weather to be present on this evening. And thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Humphrey, for your kindness, your honesty, and for your leadership. Next, I would like to invite Renee Mo and Patrick Sims to lead the Litany of Rededication. Renee, as many of you know, is currently the President and CEO at United Way of Dane County. Patrick is the Vice Provost and Chief Diversity Officer at University of Wisconsin-Madison. Yeah. <laughs> Both Renee and Patrick have been zealous advocates for civil rights and social justice in this community. Oh, are we going to do a song? I love it. I think we're going to do another song that I might have skipped earlier. <laughs> Let's go for it. Here we go. All right, so before we do the, the rededication, the Martin Luther King Community Choir. <laughs>
We pledge ourselves to the American promise that all people are created equal, that they are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We pledge to live 
mutual cooperation with all our brothers and sisters. We will weave our lives together into a single garment of destiny. We will avoid the use of violence within our world, our nation, our county, our city, our neighborhood, our home, and our family. We will harbor no hatred within our hearts. We will seek peaceful solutions in every conflict and will preserve and protect the dignity and worth of every person. We will not cooperate with evil. Neither will we be patient with injustice. Now is the time for us to do what is right. We will treat every person as being of infinite value and intrinsic worth. We will never use another soul as a means to our own advancement. We will keep hope alive in our hearts. We believe that the universe is on the side of justice. We believe that truth is stronger than evil. We, we believe, believe that this is no time for our apathy, silence, or complacency. We must work unceasingly to lift this nation that we love to a higher destiny. This is a time for our vigorous and positive action, so we pledge to lift high the banner of peace, justice, reconciliation, and beloved community in our day and in this community. Thank you. Thanks again, Renee and Patrick. You know, I want to I want to make note. Both of our your organizations have been active members and financial supporters of the King Coalition for decades. So I thank you. All right. As we reflect tonight on Mr. Humphrey's words and the powerful sentiments expressed in the litany of rededication, the King Coalition encourages you, you to now ponder ways that you can act to affect positive change in our communities. The ways in which you can advance the movement of civil and human rights in the spirit of Martin Luther King, Frank Humphrey, our two honorees tonight, Ali and Gavi, and other civil rights leaders. Tonight, may you leave here recommitted to engaging every single day, moving forward in actions that celebrate, not separate us, and to remain committed to humbly listening to diverse perspectives so that you may be better equipped to act and with every action, inch us one step forward in our fight for social justice. At this time in our histories, communities of color can wait no longer. We cannot compromise anymore. Direct actions are essential now. We must remain committed daily to Ms. Dr. King's dream and work tirelessly so that one day it will be guaranteed for every dreamer. Every immigrant, every refugee, every Muslim, every black community member here in Madison and Dane County and in this country, every trans individual, regardless of gender or identity, from generation to generation. As Dr. King said, let us all hope that the dark clouds of racial prejudice will soon pass away and the deep fog of misunderstanding will be lifted from our fear-drenched communities. And in some not-too-distant tomorrow, the radiant stars of love and brotherhood will shine over our great nation with all their scintillating beauty. 
If you have not done so already, please review the call to action form that is included on the inside of your program book. As reflected in Dr. King's words, opportunities to engage in positive action are never lost, but simply deferred to another day. I am here to ask, what will you do today, tomorrow, every day? In just a few moments, you will see volunteers who will be passing around collection baskets. If you would like us to help you get connected to one of the volunteer opportunities listed on the call to action form, please complete the form and place it in one of the baskets. There will also be collection baskets available as you exit the theater. On your way out this evening, we also encourage you to visit the informational tables in the lobby that are being staffed graciously by United Way Volunteer Center volunteers and the Wisconsin Network for Peace and Justice. Additionally, as has been the tradition for the last several years, we're asking for your financial support. Half of all proceeds collected and donated will go to supporting the King Coalition's activities next year while the other half will go towards helping meet critical needs in our world. Last year, we were able to raise nearly $800, which was sent to the Standing Rock Tribal Council, Jewish Social Services, and the Madison Community Immigration Law Center. A portion of tonight's collection will be donated to the Puerto Rico Relief Fund of South Central Wisconsin to aid in relief efforts following the devastating hurricane that struck recently and continues to impact day-to-day -day life today. So I just want to thank everyone for coming. Thank you to members of the King Coalition for the tireless commitment to this event. I am humbled to have been your MC tonight. May we proceed in kinship with one another and with great hope for our future together. Now join us in singing We Shall Overcome. Mm -hmm. 